Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today I am interviewing my friend Aaron Roy. Aaron is a homesteader from New Mexico who is also a boss babe when it comes to social media and marketing. Aaron and her husband own the Harvest Trail Agency, which is a farm-to-table and agriculture-based social media marketing company. They are helping farmers and businesses share their story of agriculture through marketing and social media. Erin is sharing her knowledge and wisdom about social media with us today, as well as her story in agriculture on her homestead. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Erin. How are you? Good morning, Caitlin. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I am so good. Thank you so much for being part of the Rural Woman podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you. It is my pleasure. So I know you from over on Instagram, but for my listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I have the Harvest Trail journey on Instagram, and then I also have the Harvest Trail agency and journey as a website. And so what that is, is kind of a mismatch of who I am, which is a person that helps people within agriculture to do their social media and marketing, and then also a journey of my own agriculture findings and path. We just bought a homestead this summer that we're remodeling, and so it's a chance for people to see what we're up to and then how to help themselves at the same time. That's great. And I thoroughly enjoy watching your renovations to your beautiful new to you farmhouse. Can you tell us how your renovations are going? Is that a sure. touch, is it a touchy subject still or are we okay to talk? Oh goodness. About it? <laughs> no, I think we're good. Okay. You know, if you want to test your marriage, build a house or do a remodel. That's what they say. Yes. <laughs> and it's absolutely a hundred percent true. Um it's been a long journey. It's been an interesting process because we bought a house from the government. This was a, a HUD house that we bought. So it was a screaming deal, but with screaming deals means hard work and tough decisions. And um, we lived on the property in an RV. And of course, the renovations went longer than they were supposed to. So we were waking up in the RV and it was um, 37 degrees inside the RV, which that's just crazy. The people that can camp during the wintertime, man, I give them a huge high five because <laughs> it's not me, <laughs> especially day after day. Um, so we're done with the loan process. We're done with the major remodel. Our contractor finished a couple weeks ago. I think he was super happy to be finished with the project as well because it was just kind of a bear. And now we're moving on to uh, the smaller things that we can do ourselves. So it's definitely livable. It's beautiful. The property and the views are fantastic. And now we just get to do the fine tuning side of it. And that'll probably take us about another six months. And then, of course, when you own your own home, and especially if you're doing homesteading or urban agriculture or small scale farming, there is always stuff to do, as I know you know that. <laughs> oh, always. The honeydew list is very long. <laughs> right. 
and it is, always comes after farm work, farm work first, and then honeydew list afterwards. So, yes, and I think we're in the process of that right now because I have seedlings that need to go outside, but we're still missing light receptacles in the kitchen. <laughs> Oh, but I think goodness. that's a true testament to where your priorities are whenever you're doing farming or gardening. You have to take care of your animals and your plants first or your whole season can be gone in a flash. Yeah, 100%. So you mentioned animals. Let's talk about the critters that you have on your homestead. Yeah. So I was thinking about it before we um, were going to do this podcast and I was like, I don't even know how many animals I have right now, how many chickens I have. <laughs> so, um, I have a, a couple of different breeds. We're doing um, some different things this week or this year. Instead of selling eggs, which has been, you know, my one of my previous passive incomes, now that we've moved out here, it's a little bit further away. So it's harder to do that. So we're switching from eggs to chicks and pullets. And uh, it's, a, it's more money. It's a little bit more work, of course, because you're either finding incubators to do that or you're putting them under hens. But we're pretty excited. So we have a group of silkies in one coop. And those are just um, mini, really cute chickens. If you guys aren't familiar with that breed and they're fantastic for going broody and hatching out your own chickens. They're not very good egg layers, though. Um, and they're super funny to cuddle with. They we have so a, a fancy. <laughs> they are fancy. Um, and then we have another group that are black Americanas. And they're not Easter Eggers. They are actually um, their own breed. Uh, they have the beards and the tufts, and they're completely black. They're a bigger-bodied Americana, for sure. And they lay blue eggs, so we have them. And then we have a group of olive eggers. And so I have my first hatch actually do um, this next coming week. So I'm pretty excited. We're about to have almost between 50 and 75 chicks in the next two weeks hatch out. So we'll be adding some to our breeding program. Some will go to a grow out pen and we'll sell those as pullets. We'll harvest the roosters and then the rest will sell as chicks. So there's that group of animals. And then we also really lucked out in the fall and and got a group of peacocks and our peafowl. So we have one peacock, three peahens, and we're excited to hatch out babies from them this spring as well. And then we have two guard dogs, Runa and Gunner. Gunner's a puppy. He's about four months old. Runa is two. So we got them to actually protect our fowl. And already this morning, we've had two coyotes run across our property um, and they were right there to chase them off. It's funny because the peacocks actually call first to warn that there's something on the property. And the dogs know now when the peacocks call to come running to see what they're talking about. So that kind of like symbiotic relationship. That's so they're great tyrannies. Yeah, it's... Um, pretty funny to watch how the animals interact. In fact, my dog will actually, if the guinea hens on the next property over do their alert call, she'll even run over to their property line. That's a good neighbor dog to have. That's right. <laughs> Help keep the coyotes off of all sides. So yeah, I love having great Pyrenees and I really recommend anybody who wants to uh, free range their fowl to have um, uh, two guard dogs because um, they will learn from the whatever fowl you have 
however they alert to come and check and see what's going on. So they can actually help with aerial predators too, just because an aerial predator, if it sees a dog coming, it's going to take off. Even if the dog doesn't know to look up in the air at whatever's coming. So they're, they're pretty good. Good investment. That's for sure. It's hard to lose chickens emotionally and especially financially if you're using it as an income source. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's a dog, so you get a cuddly companion out of the deal too. So I think it's, I think it's great. Gunner is so cute. Oh, thank you. He is really cute. He's so big now. My husband had borrowed the Bobcat. We were doing some um, work on our raised beds to get started and he actually got in the bucket and was big enough now, four and a half months, that he could stand in the bucket and reach his upper body over to my husband to give him some snuggles. I was like, that's a big dog <laughs> at four months to be able to do that. No doubt. I have a chocolate lab, Charlie, and you know, I always thought she was big until I moved out here and our neighbors have great Pyrenees. And just looking at her side by side, it's they're huge. It's like a bear compared to her. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had, um, I rescued labs for a long time. I love them. They'll always have a special place in my heart, but yeah, I always thought they were the ginormous dogs until I got these. (laughs) Definitely a difference. For (laughs) sure. So you're talking about your raised beds a little bit. Um, I, Mm -hmm. I saw on Instagram earlier last week, I think it was when you posted your, um, how to start a garden and your seedlings from in the house. So do you want to talk about your garden a little bit and maybe more about the video about explaining how to start the garden even? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, a lot of us are intimidated to start our own seeds at home. Um, One is having the right equipment to do it. The second is, you know, the initial investment of buying the seeds and the dirt and the trays and everything. And, um, the know-how part, I think, is what people are also yearning for. So I thought I would share how we get our seeds started at our house. And we have really good germination rates. And it's super simple. I think the most important thing is to have a good soil. And I think a lot of people, wherever they're starting seeds in their beds or wherever else they're starting them, will use a potting mix. And there's actually not enough room for a little seedling to get started through that coarse stuff. So either mixing in, you know, um, vermiculite or something like that, that adds some air and room for little root seedlings to grow is a good idea. And, uh, just being sustainable, you know, anytime that, um, we were just talking earlier before we started the podcast about, you know, well, what do you call your place? Is it a homestead or is it a farm? And I'm always hesitant to use the word homestead because I think that um, what goes hand in hand with homestead is um, being sustainable. And I think we're still working so hard to be sustainable. So I'm hesitant to use that word, but let's just say it's a goal to call our place a homestead. Um, But there are some really cool things that you can use, um, you know, some half pans from Um, And that's some chef lingo here so that the aluminum pans that you can pick up at your local dollar store or cheap store that you might use at a picnic. And instead of throwing it away, you bring it back home and that's what you set your trays in or you start your seeds in there. There's just so many different options that people have that they may not be thinking about that are easy ways to get their own seeds started. And you can do it at a really cost effective level without breaking the bank. And I don't know about you, but I have an addiction to buying plants. So if I go into our local box store, I can easily walk out with two, $300 worth of plants. 
I'm so bad for it. (laughs) (laughs) I come home from the grocery store even, and it's just like, what plant did you buy today? And it's like a little... It's like a little jungle and it, but they make me happy. The green <laughs> makes me happy. I figure it's yes. cleaning the air in our yeah. house. And I don't there think you go. plants are a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think so either. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have this addiction over something else. <laughs> I was just going to say we could be addicted to a lot of different things, but plants I think are a safe bet. Yes, that's right. And it's something that gives back to us later on, like you're talking about the air purification, or if we're planting stuff that feeds us later. So one of the ways too, that I wanted to mention, because I know that buying seeds can be like such a daunting task, because there's so many different varieties that are available. Um, There are local ways to do that. A lot of cities and even in some rural areas, people are getting together and doing uh, seed swaps. And so um, I think if you went and put maybe the nearest town or city in Google and then put um, seed swaps in, you should be able to find something in your area. And a lot of times people are willing, if you're just starting out, they're going to give you seeds if you don't have anything to swap or you can find something else to barter with. But there's definitely a way for everybody within every income to be able to start doing their own seedlings. For sure. Do you do seed saving at all? I just started that and I have a ton of questions. Um, I think it's going to be me taking some more time to learn from veterans who do it. Um, and then I guess being brave enough to do it. Cause I think for me, I'm always afraid of, well, what did this cross with? I'm really going to get the true plant that I'm looking for. And it is such a, a time investment for someone like me, where it is, um, where the gardening side is, is a passive income. Um, if I spent that much time on starting seeds and then got going and it wasn't the right variety, or I happened to put hybrid seeds in and I got zero production back because of that, um, I think that scares me. But I'm ready. Um, in fact, this year, I don't think I'm planting any um, hybrid tomatoes. I'm doing all um, open air pollination and heirlooms. So I'm kind of excited to see if I do keep some seeds back to see what happens the year after that. And are you keeping the produce for yourself or are you selling it to a local market at all? So we do a mix. I, uh, we definitely feed our family off of what we have. And then if we do have extras, I trade, I mostly do barter stuff in our area because I don't want the commitment of having to be at a market every weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. So we barter. I have um, in our area here, we have a pig farmer. And so we do some sausage trade. We actually do seedlings for sausage trade. And then um, I kind of do like a mini CSA with just my friends where they get a box. And um, I tell them it's like, you know, optional to to give me cash or whatever. But um, that has worked out for us with the small space that we were in the acreage we were on before was on a cliff. And so I had really limited space. So moving to two and a half acres of flat land has really made a difference for us. And I'm excited to see how we grow. And it might be that I decide that our little local market here in our mountain town, our growers market is on a Wednesday afternoon, which is actually easier for me than giving up my weekends. Well, that's good. Um, I saw that you were actually accepted into the Albuquerque area master gardener program. So congratulations on that. And can you tell us about that? Thank a little you. Bit more? 
Yeah. Do you all have a master gardener program where you are or anything that resembles it? I don't know if I do. Okay. We, we probably do. I'm yeah. I'm personally not a big gardener, so I'm I'm learning. I'm <laughs> learning like, I'm this year. Look into that, <laughs> right? So, when we got married, I think the number one question was for me personally was, "Oh, where's your garden going to be?" And I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, "I'm not going to have a garden." But <laughs> now that I'm out here and I had the space, and I'm like, "Well, I could do this. I could." So I'm starting slowly. I, I started my seeds a couple weeks ago, and they're growing away in the little greenhouse inside. So. I saw that. I saw that. I'm excited for you to go on this adventure. And it, it is addicting, just and especially if you're already saying that you come home with houseplants, just wait. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just open the flood. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Well, the, the, the Master Gardener program is fantastic. It is a program that was started by um, some people who noticed that they spent a lot of time, and these were university people and researchers, and they noticed that they spent a lot of time fielding calls from the public. And that's hard to do when you're um, a professor and you're trying to teach students. And at the same time, you do, as a land-grant university, have an obligation to be there for the public, but not when it's all time-consuming. So they thought, well, what if we got some community members together and taught them the basics and let them learn from experts. And then they were responsible for turning around and being the filter for the public, either answering questions or if it wasn't something that they knew that they knew how to get in touch with the correct person. So they started this and now there's master gardener programs in almost every County in the United States. It's a huge, huge deal. And they all go through the land grant universities, which are um, the public universities in the United States and they're run by the county extension agents. And to become a master gardener, you have to go through a training program. So it here, so Bernalillo County is the county that I live in. And on Tuesday mornings, you're in class from eight until two o'clock in the afternoon. And they have uh, different PhDs that come in and talk to you. So one week you might be learning about climate change. The next week you might be learning about how to start your seedlings. The following week, you might be learning about how to prune your trees. So you're just getting wonderful knowledge of horticulture. And on top of that, you're also learning about how to grow in your area. So what trees grow correctly in your area, what varieties to plant, the types of soil that you have. So for me, the opportunity to continue to learn without having to pay and then be able to turn around and give back to my community was something that I jumped on immediately when I was able to join the program. So you spend a year as an intern and then um, you become a master gardener. And to maintain that, you have to do 10 hours of continuing ed a year and then you do three hours of community service. That's great. That is something yes. interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I assume we have something like that in Canada in our area. But like I said, I am a new gardener. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have any questions, maybe you can look that up because you could give them a call and say, hey, what are the best um, or what type of soil is typical for this area? But I think you said you're doing raised beds, so that might be different. But like in New Mexico, for example, especially the area where we are, we have um, alkaline soil. And it tends to be sandy. So our soil is great for growing lavender. We have a lot of lavender farms here. Um, 
and then it prevents us from growing of fun stuff that likes likes acidic soil. So um, like blueberries are totally out because they like acidic soil. So it's a great way you can call them and say, hey, what soil do we have? If you don't want to just go pop online and get a blanket statement, it's a great way to talk to someone who actually grows in the area. Great. Well, and I can refer back to your video on your website too of how to start my seedlings and everything. So it, it was good. So, so Thank you. Let's talk about your website more and more of what your job is and uh, how you help and provide information and help for those of us in egg that need help on the social media front and beyond. Yeah, you got it. So I have two degrees in agriculture. I have um, an undergraduate in animal science, and then my master's is in ag business. And when I finished, I went and worked for an equine vet for a while. And he told me, he's like, you have three months to work for me. And then you either need to go to vet school or you need to like leave agriculture if you don't want to work in a laboratory. And I was like, I don't want to work in a lab. I've already done that. I love people too much. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, Horses are definitely a huge part of my past and passion. Um, I worked on a horse farm and rode for the equestrian team at the university. And I've actually traveled overseas to teach Western horsemanship um, in Germany whenever I was in college. So I did get a job managing a horse farm after I left working the equine vet. And as I was working for them, I really decided that I didn't enjoy working for somebody else. And I wanted to go get business experience on how to run a business so that I could one day leave my own business. I had no idea what it was going to be in, but I knew that I needed to go get some experience in the business world, kind of immerse myself in it so that when I did decide whatever my grown-up job was going to be, I was going to be ready. So I got some experience um, doing marketing and sales, and I worked for a lifestyle publication out here in our area. And it has 13 employees. I think they have more than that now. Um, but I got totally immersed in it because it was such a small company. I was able to see all sides of how everything was run. We we're a really close knit group and I just learned a ton from them. And so I got, um, about 10 years of business experience and said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to venture out on my own. I'm still not quite sure how it's going to go. And so I started the Harvest Trail, just kind of talking about our journey with marrying um, Chef Hubby, which my Chef Hubby's name is actually Starson, and what we were doing growing in our backyard, using the food that we were growing to cook. Um, We were doing a lot of travel at that point, too. And my social media blew up all on its own. And as I was going about this, I started having a lot of people that were asking me how I was doing it. So it actually just kind of organically happened that I started doing some consulting. And then some people were like, I just don't have time. Can you do it for me? And so I started getting paid to do something that I really enjoy, which is informing the public about what's going on within agriculture. And my clients run the gamut of tiny agricultural programs to government programs all the way to um, large dairies. So it's really fun. My day-to-day is is different every day depending on who I'm working with. That was my next question. What does your day-to-day look like with, within your business and on your homestead? <laughs> yeah. Mornings are absolutely bonkers, which I think anybody that is in um, farming and homes, 
setting knows that like you get up, you do chores. So, um, my kind of flow is I get up, I check to make sure that nothing crazy happened overnight on any of my channels, any of my clients' channels, look to see if, um, I need to respond to an email immediately. If I don't, then I totally switch gears and, uh, take care of all the animals. Um, which for me does not take that long. And this is why I have not ventured quite yet. I'm, I am ready. Like we're, we're going to get some wool sheep, but the fowl is pretty easy. The systems that we have set up, I don't have to go feed twice a day and I don't have to water twice a day. So it's pulling eggs. It's looking to make sure that every animal is alive and well and looking good. I check out the property line to make sure the dogs haven't taken out a fence because let me tell you, if you want to find out how good your fence is, get a great Pyrenees. Um, especially if you have predators coming up to the fence line because they they'll test it. Um, you know, it's ingrained in them to take care of the predator problem and kayaking. They'll come close enough to come check out what's going on and see if there's any vulnerable areas, but they won't hop the fence. So there's a lot of like checking out on the coyote side and that usually makes your great Pyrenees go bonkers. So checking a fence line is, is a daily thing. Um, and then depending on where we are in the season, like right now, so it's, um, taking care of the seedlings. So it's flipping them around to make sure, cause we use some grow lights, but we rely quite a bit on the sun. So we want to make sure our seedlings are growing straight up and not leaning towards one side. So I'll switch those two or three times throughout the day. Um, so it's doing that. And then I go right back again into, uh, managing the social media. So, um, the beginning of the week is a lot heavier in hours because those are the times when I'm scheduling out stuff for the rest of the week and making sure that I have enough content from my clients to post on a daily basis. And then of course it's checking at least every 30 minutes um, to see if people have messaged or commented, adding stories and then developing graphics, whatever else needs to go on throughout the week. But I've done pretty good at um, making sure that the clients that I do have, that I am able to give them my full attention. And I think that's important because I think it's easy to kind of get into this auto robotic, oh, I just need to have, you know, some type of presence on social media. But really, it is about being authentic and in the moment. So it does require a lot of time. Well, and I think people can gauge if people are being authentic and real versus if it's just they're posting whatever pretty picture they can and just to get a <laughs> right. like out of it, right? Like, at least that's the way that I feel like I can tell if somebody's being pretty authentic about what they're posting versus just yeah, posting absolutely. it to post. So, um, right. And what do we go on social media for, right? It's exactly. to see what people are actually doing. Yeah. Right. To engage and be in community with people. So. Mm-hmm. What do you think some of the biggest trends right now are in social media in the agriculture world? So I, we just touched it and, and it's being authentic. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's showing the vulnerable side of who you are. And um, I mean, we just really, we just talked about it. You have to be authentic and sharing and letting people know the, day in and day out of who you are, because that's what people want to know about the behind the scenes stuff. And it's so funny because when I first started, it was, it was the pretty pictures. It was the, 
you know, more homes and garden side, better homes and garden side of, um, what our lives were rather than the behind the scenes. And it was like, okay, well, you know, every once in a while you can post behind the scenes or leave behind the scenes on Facebook where it's not a gallery where everything has to be perfect. And then when they added stories on to Instagram, it was like, okay, great. Now you can use stories as a place to be behind the scenes, but you still need to have the perfect gallery. But I think that because hashtags on Instagram um, have really taken um, a big leap kind of more towards, you know, Twitter and how people communicate with each other. You're able to have that authentic side within your photos too. You don't have to have that perfect gallery. It still needs to be curated content that looks branded. So you don't want to just, you know, have a dark moody photo followed by bright sunshiny days the next day, because that won't really be fun for your eyeballs to look at. <laughs> um, but I think it's more forgiving now. So that's, that's really the kind of trends that I see going on right now. And I think for farmers, it's, it's important to be sharing their stories and connecting people with their food again. Yeah. So the agriculture side of it, there's kind of two different sides that you can approach that is, and, and these are something that, you know, you do need to decide for yourself what, um, because the more niche you are, the better you're going to do. Um, you know, this one statement that I say is you can't be all things to all people. It just doesn't work. Whether you're running a business or you're sharing um, your brand, you have to be niched. So within agriculture, how that becomes important is, do you want to touch your community and have them evolve and share what you're doing and being uplifting and positive? Um, or do you want to kind of be on the other side of it, which is where take an approach to really inform the community about what's going on. A good example with that is farm base take a look at what she's doing. She does a great job of outreach for um, the public on what's going on. With That's good to know. I will definitely be checking out Farm Babe and I will make sure to be posting her in the show notes as well. So okay. Caitlin, what could I do to help you with, with your business and what you have going on being a woman in agriculture? Like what, what things are you approaching and seeing, especially on social media, but marketing in general? That is a great question. I think that in our community of women, if we just continue to be vulnerable and share our true stories of what it's like to be a woman on a farm versus a urban setting, it it's so much different. And I don't think people understand the difference. And even between agriculture and ranching and homesteading, there's so many differences, but there's so many similarities and there is that connection that we have to one another. And I think it's just fostering that connection with one another and support uplifting everyone, which I think we, you and I, Erin, have a great community that does that already. And just being more inclusive and including everybody into that community and, and sharing that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that you say that because, um, you know, again, we're going back to the vulnerable side of, of what we're doing. And I think the public loses sight of what we are because everything that they get shows up in a package and they've lost that human touch side. So I'm sure that as we're sharing our journeys and the vulnerable side of what we're doing and how tough it is on a day-to-day -day basis, 
but that we still have love and community for each other, for the people that are around us. Like you said, it's inclusive. It's not exclusive. The more people will understand that it's important where their food comes from and to be supportive of that community. You know, the rate of suicide within farmers is two times what it is with veterans. And that is not at all to put veterans on the back burner, but to be an eye opener to say, my goodness, we have problems in multiple areas where we can help people. And I think that the the women's side of it, especially the fact that we have a place where we can go and talk to each other. And um, I don't know if you've talked with your viewers and followers yet about our group. I'm sure they've seen um, on International Women's Day, especially there's a group of about many of us that message each other on Instagram all day long, every single day. And we are a support network for each other and for others. And we, and we make it our mission to talk about what's going on within agriculture. We are definitely vulnerable to each other, but we also share that vulnerability um, out on our posts and we support each other in doing that. And so it's good to hear where you are and, and where you want the future to go. Cause I definitely see my business evolving to be a place where I am. And it, this is kind of organically happening where most of my clients are women. I'm pretty excited about that. That's amazing that there's so many, I guess, of us out there that are open and willing to share our stories with the public and, you know, our stories in agriculture and where their food comes from, because there is a story behind everything that we consume. It had to come from somewhere. It had to come from a farm or it came from a ranch or it came from somebody making something. Right, definitely. Well, tell me how your followers got started and, and why this podcast, this exciting podcast got going. Oh, gosh. Now I feel like I'm the guest on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you're too exciting. I can't just let it go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you. <laughs> um, for me personally, when I was marrying Justin, I was moving to a farm and I was becoming a farm wife and I knew absolutely nothing about it. And I was so underprepared and overwhelmed with the situation that I just started Google searching like farm wives and what do farm wives do? And I was opened wow. up to this whole, a whole other world about agriculture and women in agriculture and what they can do. And I, I read some blogs and I thought, why can't I start something like this and connect with other people? So I just started an Instagram page to just follow along and see what people were doing and just started to slowly connect with women and quickly realized that, you know, being a farm wife was more than just being the cook and being the cleaner and all of that. You you do basically everything that your husband does and a bit more some days and you are just as much of a farmer as they are and you are a valuable part to the whole operation. So without the women on the farm, a lot of things I don't think would get done. <laughs> I totally agree with that. We wear so many hats. It's amazing. It's a, it's it's a hard thing to get everything done. That's for right. sure. And I've I've talked to some other interviewees, I guess, before about this, about being a woman in agriculture and if you've ever felt different than your male counterparts. And for me personally, I haven't ever been really put in a situation where I have. Um, mm -hmm. There, There's been times where people, you know, they're like, oh, you're just the farm wife. You just do this and you just cook and whatever. And when you tell me, like, no, you're, you're actually on the tractor, you're out there working mm -hmm. and making decisions with your husband and they're blown away by that. They're like, really, you do that? And, you know, it, it's kind of funny for me now to see their faces, but you know, for a while it could be quite hurtful and, but you know, it's, 
it's part of the learning experience and just sharing with people your story and what you actually do ends the stigma of being, I guess, just the farm wife. Gosh, you're so right. You know, that the stigma, and it's amazing that it is still here, but I think, you know, within, um, you know, the, the generational people that have been in farming for so long, um, definitely tend to be on the more conservative side where we were taught and I, and I say we in a very loose sense because, um, my grandparents ranched and grew up on farms and, it was just more of a conservative nature where you put your head down and you did your work and you didn't get involved in the politics side of it. Um, and I think that really hurt agriculture. And that is another reason why I want to have a podium where I can lift other people up and say, no, look, like you guys need to pick your head up from the tractor and look and see what's going on around you because these people need to know who you are and what you have to offer. Or else the other people who aren't involved in agriculture that are making the decisions are going to make it with the person being the squeaky wheel. And so I love that you have um, stepped up and said, okay, where can I um, talk about what I'm doing and the vulnerable side of it? And yes, I can drive a tractor. <laughs> it's, that's awesome. I love it. And I love the new shirt that you have out too. I'm excited oh, to get mine. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, awesome. so yeah, yeah no, I just wanted something to basically just a shirt for people to wear that are loud and proud to say that I'm your farmer. I am mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you eat. And even for people that aren't farmers, if, if they're buying the shirt, you're supporting a farmer. Yeah, no, I just thought it was something that I think pr farmers don't often sit back and think about what they actually do for a living and how proud they should mm -hmm. be of themselves. So I wanted to start the I am your farmer platform for people to have more admiration for farmers, but also for farmers to ad admire themselves too. So. Yes. Yeah. I think that, you know, we have to um, be proud of what we do because at the end of the day, our product is something that we should be proud of. You know, when right. we're working on it for months on end before we have something that we're able to offer people and the risks that are taken on in that are just huge. So good job. I love it. Oh, it's all due to wonderful women I'm in community with like yourself. So it's all good. <laughs> we're all good. good. So, all right, Erin, my last question for you. What do you feel like is the most satisfying part of being a homesteader and also being a social media maven and helping other people in agriculture share their stories? Oh my goodness. I think that yesterday I was walking around our property and it was about sunset and we're building some new beds and our almost 14 year old, goodness, was staining some um, boards and my husband was building the bed and our other kiddo was inside preparing dinner and the dogs were out running around and everything was getting settled in for the night. And I just felt so satisfied with what we were doing and that need to do something with my hands and the fact that I have a, a partner who supports that kiddos who are going to go into this world, no matter what they decide to do with their lives, because I don't think either one of them are going to choose agriculture, but the fact that they're able to carry those skills with them. So if they marry someone who does, they can help support that, that they will always know how much it takes to do it. That's where I get my satisfaction. And if I'm able to help other people understand that satisfaction, so if they're out of agriculture, spreading the knowledge of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, and then 
using my ability to um, market and brand other people's just, it's like a domino effect with that satisfaction. It really is. That's what resonates and what I'm passionate about is sharing that joy that's found in working with my hands. Well, and you share that joy with me and so many other people over on Instagram. And I thank you for that. And thank you for being in community with me. Yes, I enjoy it so much. I'm so thankful for you. Yes. All right. So for the people who don't follow you on Instagram, where can they find you? So they can find me at the Harvest Trail Journey on Instagram and Facebook as well. Okay. And what's your website again? The web is theharvesttrailagency.com. Okay. I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you with ease. Great. Great. Okay. Thank you so much, Erin. It has been a pleasure talking to you today. Absolutely. Thank you too. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Erin Roy. She is literally one of the smartest people I know when it comes to social media. Erin and I ended up chatting for quite some time after I hit stop and got into more conversation about different social media tips and tricks that Erin likes to use with her clients. So I ended up hitting record again and got some bonus content for you guys from Erin. So if you're interested in listening to that, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and find the show notes for Aaron's episode. I will have the link to sign up to receive the bonus interview with Aaron. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at Wild Rose Farmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.